Hi, welcome to Chicana Code Switchers. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicanas in our master's program. We are also scholar practitioners in student affairs. This podcast is intended to provide insights into higher education with a focus on social justice and pláticas of student experiences. With that being said, let's start the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. This is your co-host, Patricia, and I am with Ariana. Hello, everyone. And so, Ariana, tell us, um, it hasn't been that long since we recorded our first episode of our second season, but um, what are some of your updates? Yeah, so right now I'm still working in the Office of Student Affairs, um, planning the... Uh, student of color orientation, recording some videos uh, for the incoming students on the student of color experiences, um, the first generation student experiences, and we're doing different topics, disability, and I think something on um, imposter syndrome. So basically, we're getting like uh, the last year's cohort talking about their experiences at Harvard and how they prepared, what did they not expect or what were they surprised to learn from about their experiences here? How did they find community? How do they define community, et cetera? So basically uh, we're trying to prep them for the incoming year as things might come up and that way they'll know how to respond. Um, that's in the works. I'm also working on creating a plan to study for the GRE again. I. I got myself to a coffee shop yesterday, so that's a start, <laughs> and I liked it. I like the vibes. Um, I'm always about finding the, a good coffee shop with a good ambiance that will allow me to study and be productive and focus. Um, I joke with my colleague about, like, I like being coffee shops with other people because even though we don't know each other, they all look like they're working very hard. <laughs> And so that energy transmits to me, which makes me want to, like, be working as well. Um, I usually, when I was studying for, or when I was in school, I would go to the iLab where there was, it was pretty much empty. And it was a conference room, very, very, uh, what is it called? Um, sterilized, like very white, very bright. So you would not know that it was dark outside. And I would do that, uh, I would go there after the gym, and I would go with someone, but now, like, I need a study buddy, so I need to find someone who will help me study for the GRE. Um, but other than that, um, finding new, a new roommate, what else? Uh, trying to read, so right now I'm reading uh, Michelle Obama's Becoming book, and then my friend who is going into a PhD program recommended the racial contract book. And so I'm, I just literally got that. So I'm going to start reading that one just to keep my mind working and not lose that practice of studying and reading and taking notes. But how are you doing? What's up? What's new with you? Um, the new thing is that my job here at Smash as a residential advisor is coming to a close. So this is the last week uh of the program um getting ready for the third years to have their ceremony and for them to go into their senior year of high school um and this is where um like my experience here at smash has ended and so like 
reflecting back has been like looking at because um one of our guests today um is Zarian Williamson and I met him his pronouns are he him his and he is a head residential advisor at Smash and so this is where I met him say hello hello <laughs> and so uh we were both just reflecting on like our experiences um uh, Zarian is uh, he just recently graduated um uh, from the California State University CSU uh, Monterey Bay uh with a degree in biology and with a minor in chemistry and so um we were both coming from two CSUs um uh, from specifically undergrad or experience um being in like predominantly like uh, white spaces and talking about like our work experience uh, smash has been the first time where I have been in like there's no white person here yeah not not a single one <laughs> looking at our um, experience like three weeks ago um, we were like eating or I was eating at the calf like on my day off um, by the way Berkeley's calf is terrible um yeah it's so bad um and that was surprised because of that because of how like prestigious it is and the food is not that great during the summer maybe it's different throughout the school year um but we were like for a good period of time in the first like three weeks like it was just smash and our scholars and then um the soccer there's like a group like every year soccer teams that are like basically berkeley affiliated and it's mostly white, like, boy soccer players. And so I was sitting in the calf one day, um, eating, minding my business, watching Hulu on my phone. And this white boy, who's, like, around, like, 8, 10 years old, asked me if I worked in the calf. And oh. basically ruined my whole time there because I was like, what the heck? Like, my first interaction, and I was, like, already defensive. So, um, Saren, can you speak about... Your first time, like, being in a predominantly, like, POC space working here? Um, it's, it's, like, refreshing. Uh, it's, we don't have to really, um, like, code switch. There we go. <laughs> Tagline. <laughs> Tagline there. Uh, no, but we really, like, we don't have to code switch. We can just really be who we are and not have to worry about, um being not judged but being you know looked at how we'll be looked at if we we're truly being ourselves or just police in general because yeah. i've had like so many work work experiences where like the word you have to be professional is thrown out all the time and just like the conversations about is it you know aesthetically pleasing for white people or and, like just like how we behave is so different Right. Um, I just feel like in this program, we let our residents basically like have a great like experience. And the and we've had experiences where like international like uh, program, like programs where like people like that come in here, like internationally come in and they like look at us like so weird. Yeah. Like, we had instances where like some are like are recording us for like just what doing. Yeah. yeah. Just being us. Just, just, be, just doing like a, our like count at the beginning or announcements outside of the calf, like they're just staring at us as if like we're a zoo. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, we we do our smash count out, smash count, which is what we do when um after any big event or thing, we get all the scholars together before we send them out to class or anything. Make sure everybody's there. Um, where we do it at 
at the cafeteria, there's like a, uh, I guess a balcony, an awning above us. And there was one time where the international students were just all on top of the awning looking over at us, videotaping and taking pictures. Um, <laughs> and we've had several instances like that where we've had like dances um, outside in the quad area. And um, they're also doing the same thing. They're just staring at us. One time we had a movie night outside and they were just staring at us. It's just like weird. Maybe and, they found uh, you exciting. No, that's not <laughs> exciting, girl. Like, this is weird. Like, you don't come up to a group of them and just like take pictures of them. Like, it's just strange. Like, um, and it's like, uh, we had like a, we have a spirit week where we like either where it's like pajama day or things like that. And then like some of them were like taking pictures of our scholars. And I'm like, they also have to understand that they're minors. Like you yeah. shouldn't be taking pictures of minors yeah. like that. A lot of that comes with ignorance. Yeah. They're not from this country. So that too. Um, and also <laughs> like, even just like the soccer team too, like they're from the U S and they're still like staring at us and looking at us, like I said, for like entertainment for them, which is like, again, the microaggressions of like, yeah, it comes from ignorance, but it's like, explicit ignorance that's coming from like racist underlinings of it where like they don't understand to see us as people and that we're like not anything different like it's it's culture you know like they're like whoa like let me i'm so exposed to like this different culture and we had um a few days ago we had our suite dance which is like each like residential suite comes together and does their own dance and they were recording and i'm like this is just for us to like the people in the program are the ones recording, not you. Like, that's just weird to you record strangers like that. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's like some of the things where um, a lot of the times when we have black and brown youth coming together, doing their own thing, it's like we get pushed out, police told, like, we're the troublemakers, like, we get blamed for everything. Yeah, one of our wrong. our themes this summer for the scholars was all eyes on us, um, because oh. that's literally what it is. Um, all eyes are on us, um, and that became very true this summer with everything that's been going on. So um, it's kind of poetic in a way. <laughs> yeah, you're embracing. And we that. chose and we chose that specific t- theme um, this summer because of how like we also in the resident like the um RAs basically how we also have experienced higher ed where anything that we do we're like extra watched not only from like the institution but also like our families like every everything that we do is like it comes back to our identities and our family name and and in a way having in it kind of comes across as like you have to prove yourself you have to prove that you belong there um, <clears throat> to legitimize your like your your presence, I guess. Yeah, and it's just like also understanding that some of these scholars, like they are still minors, they're still like young, and they're not perfect. Yet we have to like always tell them, hey, just be careful of what you do in public because once they walk off, like from us, from our um, like when we're there or supervision and they walk to campus to go to their classes i'm like whatever you do it goes back to us and it goes back to yourselves and your program like any since we're not like affiliated or partnered up with like um 
UC Berkeley or any of the sites, like it, we are an outside group that pays as a, as an outside group. Um, so they can just say bye, you know, like we're no longer hosting you. Yeah. And so um, it's very unfortunate because you have to like have them mature so quickly um, just like how we had to mature so quickly, even within like our first year of campus. So, um, and that's, that's the reality, right? And so here is like Zarian Williamson coming in as our guest. Um, and Zarian like also plans to work and research before uh, pursuing medical school. Um, and with his medical degree, he plans to practice medicine in historically under, underserved communities in order to aid in eliminating the racial and ethnic inequities that exist within our healthcare system. His interest for healthcare stems from his passion to help people and specifically his desire to increase people's quality of life. And Sarian's display displays his desire with his actions in his community as a former member of the American Medical Student Association chapter on his campus, he volunteered to assist physicians in providing healthcare to homeless patients. For two years, he worked as a resident advisor mentoring 60 plus first year students each year. And he also served on his campus's NAACP executive board as health committee chair for two years in this role. He at, uh, where he successfully advocated for the Flint water crisis and hosted a Get, Get Help the Young People Everywhere, also known as HYPE, event on his campus. Zarian served as the junior province vice polemark for his fraternity. And how do you say this? Kappa Alpha, Alpha Psi. Yeah, there Kappa we go. <laughs> fraternity. Incorporated. Huh? Incorporated. Incorporated. It's abbreviated. <laughs> <laughs> Zarian is a motivated, diligent, and compassionate individual who loves to learn and strives to accomplish his goals. Currently, he's taken a two-year gap to get hospital hours by working as an ER tech. Great. So welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Um, so do you have any updates on you and or anything that you'd like to uh, share with the audience before we get uh, started with our in interview um we could talk about like why did you choose csu monterey bay yeah uh i guess before i talk about that um i'll just talk about smash um so uh like brethicia said um we met at smash um it's been a great program so far um really rewarding really eye-opening um i really wish i knew about this program when i was in high school because mm -hmm. I'm sure we'd probably be in a different place. I probably wouldn't have gone to CCMB <laughs> if I knew about Smash. But <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, great program. Um, really excited to have been a part of it. Um, hopefully, um, I can come back next year and um, be with the scholars again. Great program. Um, but yeah, CCMB. Um, I went to Monterey. Um, <laughs> I I guess uh, so. The reason why I went to Monterey, um, well, first things first. I can't. I'm from Sacramento, right? I'm from Sacramento, California. Uh, everybody always bags on Sacramento. That's why. <laughs> or our our people in Smash always say because most of us are from the Bay Area. 
and then I'm from the North Bay, so it's a whole different like also experience. So like, there's we just like like to keep each other like. You, know. you just bag on Sacramento. It's okay. You all bag on Sacramento. <laughs> but if it wasn't Sacramento, I think the next one would have been me. So right. so I'm taking all. I'm taking the hits for you. It's okay. If I wasn't on the staff, you for sure would be getting. Back it would on. be me. It would be me. Right. But I'll take you know Sacramento. We used to taking hits like that. It's fine. <laughs> we we on the come up. But anyways, I'm from What's Sacramento. Your joke? <laughs> what? You provide water for LA. We provide water for LA, always. Of course, if 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 we didn't give LA water, they wouldn't have water. So, but um, from Sacramento, uh, I so I went to a charter school. I went to a charter Thomas Charter School, uh, Performing Fine Arts Academy. That was the program I was a part of, and I went to that school from sixth grade to twelfth grade. So I was in that school for seven years. Um, same school, same people, same teachers, all for the seven years I was there. Um, and I guess it, it being a small school, my graduating class was only 89 uh, people. It being such a small school um, and me being with the same people like my whole time there, the same teachers and everything like that, I think that really shaped how I or what colleges I wanted to go to. Um, uh, and Monterey, super small public school, um, very small. It's only, it's basically the size of a, of a large high school. Um, so that kind of shaped me going there. Um, I really, my first choice was actually Long Beach. I really wanted to go to Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get into Long Beach. <laughs> uh, I think it's because I, chose biology as my major and that majors or Long Beach is super impacted. So um, I applied to Fullerton, um, Monterey, Sacramento State, Long Beach, and uh, San Jose. So I got into all of them except Long Beach. Um, but uh, CHMB, I visited the campus, uh, saw the class sizes, um, saw that you get your own bathroom your first year. You don't, it's not a communal bathroom, it's your own bathroom in a dorm uh, room with other people. Um, that was also one of the factors. The other factor was that it was three hours away from home, so not too close, not too far, driving distance away. Um, and then my parents, as soon as I was like, I'm interested in Monterey, they're like, yeah, go here. You know, they really didn't want me partying or anything like that. So <laughs> they, were, they were so happy when I was like, I'm interested. They're like, yeah, go, go, go. Um, so yeah, I ended up at, uh, Monterey, uh, just because of the class sizes, uh, small community that it had and me coming from a small charter school, that's kind of, um, it felt more comfortable for me. Yeah. And then you mentioned, um, your experiences and involvement on campus. So how was, cause we spoke a little bit like offline about, our experiences having mentorships and so um how was that experience with like csu monterey bay so with monterey um uh, me getting mentored um it was how do i say it was you know you have i had to find it right i had to find uh mentoring uh, opportunities for people to mentor me um, my first year there, um, I wasn't involved in, in, on campus at all. 
Um, I literally would go to class, go back to my room and nap and do nothing. And uh, that's one of that's one thing I wish if I can go back to my freshman year, I wish I could have gotten more involved. And that's why you see in my bio, I've done so much of my time there because I was trying to make up for freshman year where I wasn't as involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is something that happened to me too. Like basically my first year, I just existed. Right. And like, but it also was important for me to preserve all that energy just because I didn't feel so connected from the get go. Like yeah. Sonoma. And so I was a, like, I, I found it hard to find any groups that really meshed with my vision of what I wanted to yeah. accomplish in Sonoma. So I think looking back, like if I would have been involved my first year, I think I would have like left even earlier yeah i wouldn't have stayed because of seeing the behind the scenes stuff like it was worse <laughs> yeah yeah so, i mean i guess i we self-preserved the first year yeah well actually i would say like i um so i kind of you know came to sacramento i'm like i basically was from a white suburb um i by school my charter school um i was literally the only black kid in my grade so I like I was used to being in that that space where I'm like the token or whatever. Um, I was used to being in that space. So coming to Monterey, um, I was already used to, you know, being in that space and dealing with the the, the problems or issues that come with being in that space and being that token. Um, but one thing that changed for me when I went to CUTMB was that. I was able, there was much, there's a bigger pool of people who are like me that I could be around. Um, and that's where I kind of came into my identity um, as a as a black male. Um, I think CCMB helped me um, find out who I am. So I'm really thankful for college in general and for CCMB for um, allowing that space for me to uh, figure that out. But um, as far as mentorship goes, um, I was an RA um, for two years while I was there, um, and I had my first black boss there. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Brittany Fennell, Um, and she really—it uh, was awesome. Like I had, I literally had my first black boss. I uh, somebody who understood me, who um, could get cu- cultural context. Like um, I could just talk to her. Um, it was awesome. Like every time I had a one, I was looking forward to one on ones with her. Um, and that was like part of the job as an RA, you have one-on-ones with your, um, your community director. And I would always look forward to talking to Brittany. Um, and she was my first, um, I guess, mentor at CSUMB. Um, and I would say, uh, mentoring others. Um, my whole tagline when I was an RA was get involved. Um, I think I said, get involved like 20 times. Uh, at our first meet, floor meeting uh, because I didn't want I, I um, was alright for first years right so I didn't want the first years to to not um, I didn't want them to be like me my first year where they didn't do anything they're just kind of like whatever whatever right because really C shouldn't be and I think you can um, relate to this uh, y'all being from Sonoma is really what you make it right Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot going on. It's a rural area. <laughs> rural area. Uh, 
you're really not going on, you know, an, go an hour north and you'll hit San Jose, a little bit more going on. But Monterey, no, not, nothing's really going on, right? So you kind of have to make the most of it and make it your own. Um, so that's really what I want to impress on the um, first years that I saw over to really make C-Stream be your own. Um, it's only the school is only 25 years old. Um, construction sound was a constant sound on campus. I remember every day in my first year at 6 a.m., all I'd hear was beep, beep, beep from the <laughs> from the um, the tractors and everything, um, them yeah. building the new business building. Um, constant. So change is constant. Um, innovation is constant. Opportunity is constant. That's it shouldn't be. So really, um, I just wanted to tell them, like, make it your own. If you want to start a club, start a club. If you want to join a club, join a club. Like, do whatever you want. Um, just make it your own. Um, but yeah, that's um, me mentoring and my mentoring opportunity, or me getting mentoring on campus. Yeah, no, that's very pivotal. And I think uh, CSU Monterey is only 25 years old. So that makes sense why there was so much construction going on. Right. And then it, it serves three counties, which are uh, Santa Cruz, Monterey, and San Benito. Yes. <laughs> and I hear that it's 53% of first generation students. Yes. Yeah. So if you can share more about that, and I think it's a Hispanic serving institution. Were there any, like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's literally uh, CHMB's mission to serve those three counties. Um, its mission was to serve the uh, migrant uh, farm workers' children who are in that county and uh, get them a college education. So that's why fifty percent of our fifty um, percent um, of our population is uh, uh, first. Yeah, Latin, well, I think our Latinx is like thirty six, thirty six percent of our population, mm -hmm. and then white or Caucasian is uh, like 30 something. They're very neck and neck. And then the rest, you know, falls underneath, underneath that. All the others. Yeah. The others basically. Um, but um, yeah. Um, and we, being, we were talking about like um, it, like the campus being Latinx serving or designated as so um, have you seen like any inner group, conflict within that like title and big you know like mission to do that yeah i think well CSUB definitely holds true to their mission um they have like a little the uh summer program where um the students who are first generation they come um like two weeks or three weeks earlier to the campus and have classes before um everybody moves in um so they stick true to that that motto um as far as any like conflicts between groups um i wouldn't say there is conflicts between groups i think both groups exist um um alongside one another um i feel like um we experience the same struggles on on campus um one thing I would say um, we were able, like us as the black community on campus, we were able to accomplish when I was part of NWSP 
was we were able to get a um a a yeah black student housing sorry <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah we were able to get uh black student housing uh because we felt that um black students on campus didn't really have a space there wasn't really a space where black students can go and um be, be black students right um so we're constantly the one thing we struggle with was constantly trying to provide that space um but since the issue is so new there's not many buildings that can provide that space, right? The One of the constant things that should be is trying to get spaces, right? So usually July 1st is when every organization on campus is trying to reserve spaces that are non-academic. And it's it's a frenzy. Like everybody's trying to get a space. The Greek organizations are trying to get the space. The, the um, ICC organizations, the sports club organizations are all trying to get spaces on campus. So... Um, that's one, I guess, kind of um, tension. tension between groups, um, just getting spaces. Um, but like I was saying, uh, so we were able to uh, get uh, black housing on campus um, through the through the campus through uh, student housing. Um, that the the fruit the what is the word the. The um, what's the word? <laughs> the fruits of labor. I, yeah. For lack of a better word, the fruits of labor to see uh, that become fruition on campus has yet to be seen. Um, I think last year they only had like six black students in the housing, so they kind of. I don't think they were able to recruit enough students to be in the floor, so they just kind of put the six black students that wanted to be on the floor and then put with whoever else on the floor. So um, it's a work in progress. We'll see what CHMB is able to do with it, what student housing is able to do with it uh, down the road, but that's still a win for our community on campus. Yeah, so um, we're mentioning how some of those like new initiatives that we want to um, create come from like the advocacy of students and like CSU Monterey Bay like being so new like they don't immediately create those spaces already like it has to be through students advocating right right and that's that's the one thing I was saying earlier about um, getting involved like if you want something to happen at CSUB you can make it happen it's only 25 years old the buildings are being built every year if students um, want something it's just up to the students to corral themselves and to um, to make it happen. Um, and that's one thing I think on my campus on CSU, at CSUB with uh, the Black community, I feel like um, the Black community was really apathetic at times. Um, I think it started, um, it started like, I think I want to say it started my year. Um, I feel like there were, um, there was a tight black community before uh, my class had gotten there. Um, but for some reason that, that tightness didn't really trickle down to us. So by the time I graduated, I feel like it wasn't, um, it wasn't a cohesive black community. You know, yeah. we weren't really all together. Um, some of us were student uh, leaders, you know, running around everywhere in every org on campus doing five uh, different things right at once. <laughs> right exactly doing five different things at once um and there's others who didn't really put themselves in the community i want to say 
I don't I don't want to say that um, us as student leaders didn't provide spaces. I feel like the black community just those on campus just didn't put themselves in the in the space in the community. And then understanding like the whole like getting involved and like um, having to make up for the like the lack of numbers mm-hmm. of the people who are involved in like pushing forward like the new initiatives or making sure that spaces were created for um, students of color. Um, it was difficult because the same thing happened like at Sonoma, like in our experience where it was just like the five same people like doing the same right. things. And uh, which for me, I, I don't blame those students who didn't want to get involved because you did get a lot of backlash at the end of the day. Like if things didn't go well, um, you were the first one blamed, you know, right. and thinking about um, the mentorship also like um, from how I mentioned in previous like episodes, how in my last year, um, I didn't have a Latinx faculty in the business department at all, like until the last year, last semester in my fifth year. Um, and then thinking about like even mentors in my workspaces, it wasn't until my last year that I had a woman of color. She was black, a residential director to work alongside with her. So um, the turnover rate for uh, faculty and staff of color was like detrimental and like high to the point mm-hmm. that you would lose mentors as like they left. Right. And that's the same thing at Monterey. Um, like I said, my first black boss, uh, Brittany, she she left like right after um, right after the year was done. She had went to I think she went to San Marcos. Um, and that is kind of been like one of the running trends at CSUMB, one of the jokes, I guess, among the black community is like, oh, when are you going to leave? Like, when are, mm-hmm. when are you going to be gone? Um, for all our black staff, uh, black faculty and um, black staff and faculty in uh, student affairs. Um, it's literally like a one year to a year and a half mark where it's like, OK, um, you're probably going to be gone soon. You know, and that's been consistent for the five years that I've been at CSUMB. Um, black staff, uh, black staff will literally be there for a year and a half, and then they'll leave. Um, I don't want to speculate on the reasons why they leave, but um, there's plenty. There's plenty of reasons why they left, right? And it's just, it's just, it's common. It it happens. I think I've seen probably seven black staff leave in my time at CSUMB. And that's not that's not even in the same uh, positions. Those are in different positions. And yeah. thinking about like how, like one of the like easiest ways to retain a lot of these students of color is just like maintaining that workspace for like now that Ariana and I were on like the other side of like working in um, higher ed is like there's so many ways in where we're burnt out and we're um, put in positions where the working conditions also don't help. Like we don't have enough resources or um, support for us to stay there. And, you know, there's not a lot of um, incentives to stay. Right. Like for the most part, they put you in a position where you have to say no. And when you have like all this care and dedication to the students that you work with, like it's so hard because you know what's going to happen if you leave. Right. Like you leave everything with you. Right. And I, I'm sure that's exactly how um, the Black Snappers uh, Monterey felt when they had to leave um, because Monterey is already, like I said, it's already not a lot going on. So 
why would you even want to be there in the first place? So that's already not an incentive to stay. And then to have to not be supported by the university you're at and to have only thing tying you there is the students uh, that you impact on a daily basis. Um, it's not enough. And on top of that, like you think about the spaces for like staff, like you typically end up moving to the campus that you or the community that you're um, going to work in. And so uh, for Sonoma, it was so hard to mm. keep black staff um, beca- and faculty because most of the surrounding areas, it was hard to find housing. Right. The affordable housing that mm. was able to like keep you there for long term. If anything, it was like very temp, like everything. Yeah. And how does that impact you as a student having to lose people that look like you in such a short amount of time? And even um, with the mentality of knowing that, like, there's an expiration date. Right. Um, I would say, um, well, my first experience with that was with uh, with Brittany. Um, that was very sad. Um, like, that, that hit me very hard um, to have her leave. And then, uh, but moving forward, um, it just be kind of, it just be kind of a thing. Like, that's just, we just knew that it was going to be your time to go. We just knew you were going to be gone. Um, and it was, it, it's sad, but it's like, by that time I was older, um, mm-hmm. I understood things and I was like, I, I get it. I know you have to go. But it's like, we don't, we're not even able to build those like attachments to people. Yeah. Like we, from the immediately, like we are like a little bit more, not only on the defense and putting our walls up in general in higher ed, because you don't, like you don't want to get that, hurt, you know. Yeah. You know somebody's gonna leave. You're not gonna necessarily put your all into that person if you feel like they're gonna be gone within the year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then finding those pockets of like on campus where there are spaces where they can support it puts the toll, from my experience, like to the students. Like the students are mentoring other students. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we definitely started uh, um, a big brother or big sibling little slip program. Um, mm. for our BSU on our campus, just kind of fill the fill those gaps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can, um, I mean, that is all very significant in, in your experience. Um, and I don't know if you want to share or can expand on why you got into the RA field. Like you mentioned your experience in student affairs. Um, like, why did you decide to work there? To mm-hmm. be an RA? Yeah. Typically, like, I don't know that many medical students or like students who want to pursue um, in STEM or the medical field wanting to do things like in student affairs. Yeah. Um, so why I became an RA, um, I think it's just seeing. I I just look. I looked up to the RAs. Uh, I remember one of my first memories of being in the dorms, being in the uh, halls was. An RA, it's a black RA actually. Uh, his name is Jordan Hunter. Shout out to Jordan. Uh, he <laughs> knocked on the door. Uh, I was in one of my friend's rooms. Uh, she lived right across from me, um, and he knocked on the door. And oh, on our so we had door uh, door decks, right? Um, and on the door decks, it had our birthdays, right? So he knocked on the door. He's like, "Whose birthday is Ju- uh, June 10th? And I was like, "Oh, mine is." He's like, "That's my birthday," you know. And he was black. So it was like, cool. I really like instantly already made that connection. Um, and just even most of the RAs um, 
were uh, white, but I still looked up to them as uh, mentors and as um, people who I I could uh, trust and confide in. So just having the relationship with the RAs in my area kind of molded me to think, okay, hey, maybe uh, I can I can do this. Maybe I like I want to do this. I want to help first uh, year students like they helped me. Um, so that was kind of my route into getting in there. Um, I joined uh, area council, which is kind of basically like a pre RA uh, student position. So basically, like you set programs for your area. Um, and usually when you do that and you apply to be an RA, you kind of, if you do well in that position, you become an RA. Um, the other reason is, you know, financial, right? <laughs> I wanted, <laughs> I wanted free housing. Um, so to, to, hmm. uh, to, uh, kind of alleviate some of the cost of being a college student. So that's definitely, uh, something that incentivized me to be an RA. Um, and it was a rewarding experience. Like um, being an RA then is the reason why I'm an RA now at Smash, um, and it's still rewarding. Just um, I stepped out of the role, the RA role um, due to you know, not due to anything, but I was just I was tired of being in the role uh, after being the, in that role for two years. So I stepped out of the role, um, became a normal college student um, <laughs> for the last three years I was at school or two years I was at uh, Monterey. And being back in the role for Smash um, kind of renewed that fire for me that I have for um, education and mentorship. So um, it's it's awesome, you know, if you think about going to college and um, you want a job, <laughs> consider being an RA. Yeah. And transitioning now into um, your, for your experience, like pursuing a medical degree. So what are some of the challenges wanting to enter into pursuing medicine, mm-hmm. it's hard. <laughs> like, it's extremely hard. Um, the major, like if you choose to be a STEM major or a biology major, so you already have the prereqs to get into med school, it's hard. Um, I remember my junior year, I literally took anatomy, physiology. So the all these classes I'm about to say are year-long series classes. So I took the classes both semesters. So I had anatomy and phys, um, I had organic chemistry, and I had biology, both series, both semesters, right? And I was also, I was an RA. At that time, I was uh, an AB tech for OSU, which is Otter Student Union on campus. And um, I was also, you know, I wanted to join my fraternity. So I was doing a lot at that time, uh, taking those classes, doing my jobs. I was also the committee chair for NWSP at that time too. So I was doing, yeah, I was doing a lot. Like all of us. Right. Like (laughs) I said, student student leaders, you do a lot. So I was doing all that. And, um, you know, if I was probably any other medical student um, or pre-med student, I probably wouldn't have been doing all that. But those are the things I was passionate about. So I wanted to do them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's hard to get into medicine. Um, you know, you're going to go into a lot of debt. You're going to take like the hardest classes on your campus. Um, it's just hard. (laughs) And not only that, you have to get certain grades to continue to the next level. 
Right. So, um, yeah, you have to get certain grades. You have to um, show that you're that you um, are obsessed about medical school. Um, that's I remember that's one of the things my um, counselor told me was you have to show that you're obsessed. You have to do you have to do shadowing. You have to do uh, scribe work. You have to do volunteer hours at the hospital. Um, and after hearing my uh, counselor said, say that, I was like, but that's not all I want to do. I didn't want to go into college and do one thing. I wanted to go on college and do a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't listen to my counselor. <laughs> I decided to do everything that I wanted to do and find my own path there into yeah. medical school. Which is something that we talked uh, touched upon like last episode of like, what are some of the things that advisors tell us to do? And like, here's the book, play by the book, and you'll get in. But for the most of us, like knowing our backgrounds, our passions, and the disparities and the challenges our community space, we do more than just that. And that ends up becoming like the reason why we get hired in other positions, because we're very, um, not only interdisciplinary, but we're also like tap into so many other like, fields that are outside of like what should what we should um participate in and it, it makes us stand out and makes us a whole well-rounded person right right one of uh one of the things that my um biochemistry professor um told me was um you should be doing more um interpersonal uh work more working with people um because medical schools don't want to see you know the grades are cool um the the grades are cool the research cool everything like that is cool but uh are you do you care about people you know because that's what it comes down to um i think i looked up how much a doctor actually makes and it's it's but it's really a misconception that doctors make a lot of money um because of the amount of debt that you go into for medical school and the amount of time that you put in to be a doctor um you're really not getting paid that much. So if you want to be a doctor, you need to you need to want to do it for the right reasons. You need to want to do it to help people. You need to want to do it because you like problem solving and you like science. You think science is the way that you can do um, help it help people. The yeah. yeah, the tool you can use to help people. Yeah. So with regards to your major, did you at CSC Monterey Bay uh, come in as a declared biology major? Uh, I actually did it. So I had a roundabout way. Not a roundabout way. <laughs> like all the I, <laughs> I, I, so when I was in high school, I think I decided I, so med school has always been kind of like a thing on my mind throughout my life, even in high school. Um, I have like doctors in my family. Um, uh, fun facts. Um, <laughs> one of um, my great, great, great aunt. Uh, Georgia Dewelly, she was actually one of the first physician, uh, female black physicians in um, Atlanta, and she started uh, an infirmary in Atlanta for um, the underserved community there. Wow! So, yeah, carrying some legacy. Yeah, here. so I have a little legacy um, doctors um, in my family, um, so that's why it's it's kind of been like a, a thing on my mind uh, since high school. But when I was graduating high school. I was like, I don't really want to be a doctor. I want to be a physical therapist, right? Because I was like, I don't really want to deal with death, anything like that, right? So I was like, physical therapy, I'll help uh, rehabilitate people. 
Um, so I went in as a declared kinesiology major. Mm-hmm. Um, once I found out to be a physical therapist, you actually have to do four years, just like medical school. I was like, why am I going to do four years of PT school when I can just do four years of medical school? You know, so I decided, okay, two weeks into being there, I was like, dropped kinesiology, became a bio major. And um, I also, I really liked biology too. I liked biology in high school. I liked chemistry in high school. So um, I really liked the major. Yeah. And then chemistry happened because you had some of the similar under, uh, some of the similar or common uh, prerequisites, no? Between biology and chemistry. Right, right. It was only a couple more classes to become a chemistry minor. Yeah. 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 I was... um, I worked for the School of Science and Technology, and that would happen where you could still take advantage of the fact that you were pursuing one degree and then switch, and you could still make it work, basically. To your right. Degree. And right. some of, like, our, our key um, stuff, especially since I had to, like, advise a lot of nursing like mm. students, um, we would always tell them, major in kinesiology first and then switch over. Yes. <laughs> we would, right. yes, I would help them to, like, work the system, you know? In your favor, and then you're like, "Whoops, I already did everything." So, yeah, change it. <laughs> I'm different yeah. because I was pursuing this other thing, but now I want to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what would you say? I mean, given the challenges that you express, like, what would you tell someone, a student, a freshman, first generation from a low-income background, who's un- from also from an underrepresented group? What would you tell that person? Um, should they be getting discouraged being able to enter a field in STEM or wanting to pursue the medical field, given all the hoops that you have to jump through? And also like understanding how um, from the get go, like there's already challenges getting in. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're like freshly new or even transfer students trying to like transfer into it, um, like feeling that they're late in the game. Uh, per se so what is something that like especially in the in stem like that will encourage or you know like what are some of the realities and and words of advice that you can provide um i would say get a mentor uh get a mentor get a mentor like how do you find a mentor uh get involved (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no that's really how it is a quick little sidebar um uh I so when I wanted to join my fraternity, um, I went to one of the informationals, and at the informationals, one of the brothers, um, his name is Jermaine Stubblefield, he's a PA, a physical, um, or sorry, a phys- physician assistant, right? Um, so once I found out he was that, I was like, I want to shadow you. Like after the informational, I was like, hey, can I shadow you? I really want to know uh, what it's like to be. Um, um, you and um, at your at your clinic like how you how you work and how you do things and he's like sure so I interned with him for a semester and then I just actually recently interned with him again for my last semester of college um, and so during the internship um, I would just you know we would talk about um, patient cases he would tell me why he thinks this is going on what what's going on with this that um, he taught me how to read an EKG, everything like that, right? So he was just teaching me. I'd go in there with patients. Um, I think I only had one patient turn me down um, for not coming to uh, 
sit in with uh, the uh, consultation. Um, and that was for, it was for a good reason. It was very, uh, you know, it was a female patient, uh, personal. So, um, but uh, other than that, like I, I, every other patient has said yes for me uh, coming in. And so I got to see how he interacted with patients, how, um, what he said, what he, what he wouldn't say, how he phrased things um, based on if the patient was new or old, how he would approach the patient if the patient was like a problematic patient, uh, how he would approach that patient. Um, the difficult ones. Right, the difficult ones. Um, so I got to see all that. And not only in between patients, he would also talk to me about what it was like to be uh, a black man in medicine and not only just a black man in medicine, but being a black man in the world. Um, so a lot of my perspective on life and on my identity is molded from him and learning from what he taught me. Um, so mentor, like I said, uh, he, like, I still keep in contact with him, uh, today. Um, I probably talk to him like every week. Um, so just having a mentor is, is key to moving forward. But, um, other advice I would give is, um, just knowing what you want to do, um, or at least setting your mind. If you know that you want to go to med school, set your mind to it and do your best to accomplish that goal and set many goals along the way. So your main goal is getting to med school, right? So what, what are your goals, like step stone, stepping stone goals to get to that, right? The tangible ones. The right? tangible goals, like, okay, I want to get an A and organic chemistry. Okay, so that's a, that's a goal. What are your objectives to get to that goal? before you get to med school, right? Um, you know, getting an A on this assignment, studying, you know, studying this topic in organic chemistry for um, an hour every day until the exam. And then eventually you get an A in organic chemistry, right? So just setting tangible goals or tangible objectives to get meet your goal to then meet your, your big goal. Um, and I would also say use YouTube. YouTube is key. Key. YouTube <laughs> is key. I used YouTube um, every time I studied um, because it was like I it was my own little tutor, right? My own little personal tutor um, for biochemistry. I watched YouTube videos all the time on how reactions worked and what enzymes were working in this reaction. Everything like that. Use YouTube. Um, Khan Academy on YouTube is good. Um, but just like what I really did was I looked up the topic and whatever the topic was and i searched in the youtube bar and watched the video on it and then um one of the last questions so because of how the medical field has negatively impacted um, marginalized communities as a provider how would you hope to address this issue and how do you work with patients that are skeptic of medical services or, or, or obtaining medical services so i would say um well, one, just being a, a human, being a person um, and understanding going like me being um, a person of color, like I understand the hesitations and the um, being reserved on going in um, to the hospital and everything like that. Right. So me already knowing that um, can't um, affect my approach to a patient um, and how I approach the patient. Um so really, I just like I, I would just be a person like 
um, and understanding like people's different backgrounds and understanding um, where my patient could be coming from. Um, and also another thing I want to do is I don't want to just practice medicine. I kind of, after um, my stint in practicing medicine, I want to go into policy and kind of change um, how healthcare is run or ran. Um, one thing, so my cousin, um, she's an, or was an ER physician. Uh, she worked in the ER for 20 years and she um, now does palliative medicine and is a medical director in Arizona. Um, I talked to her about it and one thing I didn't know about doctors is that they actually, um, they're timed. So if they, if they go over a certain time um, when they're dealing with a patient, they get a pay cut. So and that already in that sense is like, well, that's not conducive to taking care of a patient. Like you can't, you can't go into a patient, you can't go to a patient and talk to them for five minutes if you have to tell them, you know, they have cancer or if they, if you have to explain um, procedure. procedure or explain um, like how, how you want them to, um, how you want them to go through your, uh, treatment your treatment. Yeah. Right. So that's not, that's not a time. Right. And the fact that our system is set up to penalize doctors for giving that extra time to patients is just doesn't seem right to me. Right. Um, so that right there in itself is something I, I really don't agree with. I want to change. So not only do I want to practice medicine, but I also want to go into the policy of medicine and kind of changing it from um, that way. And it seems like in every single like person that we talked about um, different fields and just different careers, like because we come from like marginalized, minoritized like communities, like we end up like caring and becoming experts in like different like places like where you're not just one thing right. like you become multiple things and you since you care and you see the system it isn't set up to you know treat other people with humanity uh you end up doing more things to advocate so that advocacy came um talk, can you for the last thing uh, talk about like your advocacy for the flint water crisis uh yeah so um what I did was, I, I wish I was wearing the bracelet, but basically we created bracelets um, to bring awareness to the Flint water cr uh, crisis on our campus. And we sold those bracelets to the campus body um, and donated that money back to um, Flint. So that was the one thing we brought, we brought awareness uh, to our campus to uh, let them know that, hey, this is going on. And that was back when it first had just just had started broke out, yeah. yeah broke out started people started notice or talking about it in the news um so i don't think everybody really knew what was going on so we um in our group decided like hey let's let's bring awareness to our campus about it and in bringing awareness we also brought money to help um bring supplies and bottled water to the people of flint yeah and just for perspective that was in 2014 right right back then and so and it's still uh you know issues today with you know like all these like health different like health disparities and like experiences of access yeah i just um i saw a youtube video where i forgot where it was but there was a um uh prisoner who had no clean water 
um, he literally showed a video of their water and it looked like it, they said it was sewer water um, and they were like they said it smelled horrible and that that's what they were drinking that's what they were bathing in that's what they were drinking and it's horrible and you know people um, you know in our prisons it's people of color majority people of color so um, it's just it's, it's, reality. It's, it's reality right yeah and to liberate a lot of these like oppressive systems like we have to work alongside many other people within different fields and become educated on like this is not just a one-sided issue it's multiple issues happening all at once Mm -hmm. yeah and I um I guess just to summarize a little bit um that I, I see the connection between you being an RA and work and wanting to do medical school just like the all the skills that you gained from that role or from doing that for however long you've done, two years, I think you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just having to deal with all kinds of people, difficult um, in all kinds of situations at all kinds of hours. So I think that's just like definitely preparing you for, for the career that you want to pursue later on. Yeah, def- it definitely has. And um, one thing I wanted to add um for the question you asked earlier about um, about dealing with people who are skeptical about going to hospitals and, and getting care is education. Um, education is key, um, so, so key. Uh, and it's one of my biggest passions. Um, I think once you, you know, if you go into the community, community and educate them on- um, Their rights. <laughs> on their rights and on like, um, the different illnesses that impact that community, letting them know about this so they know certain symptoms and signs, they can go into the doctor's office and know exactly, hey, I, I, I've been educated on this. I know exactly what this could be. Can you please test it, me on this? Um, because that's definitely something that has impacted my family personally on um, doctors, you know, writing off um, a patient as um not being sick at all and just having like, oh, you just have stomach cramps or something like that. And then it'd be something very serious and they go home and it, it ends up being very bad for that patient, for the life of that patient. Um, I was actually, I read this book um, by Damon Tweedy um, or Dr. Damon Tweedy and uh, the book's called, I think it's called white man or white coat, black man or black man, white coat. Um, and it was very eye-opening to see. Basically, he it's a he's a doctor from uh, Duke University, and he accounts his experience being in medical school and being a doctor, uh, being a resident, everything like that, and being black, right? Being a black man and being in those spaces. Um, he talked about how patients thought he was a basketball player. He wasn't mm-hmm. actually a medical student. Like he was at Duke to play basketball, right? He wasn't at Duke to be a medical student. Um, he talked about how he walked into class the first day and the professor thought he was there to fix the lights, right? And he talked about, um, he also talked about how there have been times where patients, black patients will show up to the hospital um, complaining about this. Um, you know, white physicians will pass them off as uh, oh, you just have this. You're just right. Yeah. You're just exaggerating your illness. They go home and they die. You know, he's yeah. talked about that in his book, and that's um, definitely 
an inequity in our healthcare system, right? Or a bias among professionals. So, um, and the reality that they have to face, and and I've seen like on Twitter like this um, tool that someone shared um, talking about like if a physician or anyone in the healthcare system like denies you a test or anything like that. One way to help is like learning. I didn't know this. Like you can ask the person like right up in the report that you denied me that you know test that treatment that you know, and put reasons why, you know, that way it's on record. Mm-hmm. Right. So if anything does happen, you know, your family has a case against that provider, that, that, that hospital, that system, right. Um, um, because it, it's, like I said, it happened, it happened in my family, right. Where they thought, oh, it's nothing. And they go home and it's all bad. Right. So just... and even like providing like advocacy because uh, one of my family members has autism. And it's like providing that advocacy for that person, especially when that person can't speak for themselves. Right. Um, and making sure that like you're not skeptic, like you know that there's something like, in your intuition or like you're from your observation that you know that there's something's wrong and they still write it off as like, oh, they, how would you know? Yeah. yeah. So education. Who's the doctor here? Yeah, you know, right. Like, that's the kind of thing that they say. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. One thing my mom always told me was own your health. Like, no, if you, you know yourself more than anybody knows you. So if you know something's wrong, there's something wrong. And you have to advocate for yourself um, to, to, to say, hey, no, this isn't right. I, uh, this isn't right. You need to run tests, right? Yeah. And, and, the, and just to uh, clarify the title of the book, it's called Black Men in a White Coat, A Doctor's yeah. Reflections on Race and Medicine by Dr. Damon Tweedy. Right. We'll put that in the caption for people yeah. to read. Yeah. Highly, interested. highly recommend. Highly recommend that book. And talking about books, just to conclude our episode uh, today, uh, we want to provide an update on a book that we are uh, being um, contributing authors, Patricia and I. Um, it's called You're Not Alone, Recipes to Obtain Success by Students for Students. And it's being, um, it's a book that I, um, that, I, that we're taking part, of, part in with Dr. Letty Ramirez from CSU East Bay. And I'm, I wrote, a, I guess, a chapter in this book called From Mexico to Harvard. And Patricia wrote one on Dear First Generation College Student, um, where we're sharing about our experiences and advice uh, for students that are uh, looking to access higher education. And so this book is basic is in process of being published and a date is still TBD, but just wanted to put it out there that this is a book um, that is being written by students for students. And they have uh, multiple topics like financial um, first year, you know, motivation. They have like different themes on it. So it's not just like our two chapters. There's multiple contributing authors. And once that gets published, we'll definitely like announce the whole um, thing and um, Zarian do you have anywhere people can connect with uh, any plugs I know you're working on a podcast so <laughs> once that's published we're definitely going to shout that out uh, yeah you can um, if you want to talk more you can reach me um, at my email zarianwilliamson at gmail.com um, or if you want to follow me on Instagram you can LinkedIn LinkedIn <laughs> right LinkedIn <laughs> Zarian Williamson. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Everything's Zarian. So if you look up Zarian, you'll probably find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much.
for um, all of this insight and examples and stories and for sharing your experience and just, you know, giving us the truth of what it takes to get this far in your educational journey. Um, and seeing so the similarities you. and then seeing the similarities with like how many of us in the CSU system are going through the same thing and, right. and mm-hmm. how um, across the board, like if it weren't for these informal like connections and right. groups that we like connect with, like you were mentioning, like your fraternity and other chapters, like saying the same thing, like right. um, this is how we survive, you know, like cheese mess saves lives because <laughs> if we don't know these information, like there's no warnings. And, you know, you get hit, like, blindsided. Yeah. And so, Especially being um, one of the few, you know, men of color or, you know, just being the person of color in these fields and or in these higher education settings like CSU Monterey Bay, like, you would think One of, that, like, the, the different ones, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time and input. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And then so for all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business, conference and event shout outs and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app and that way we can include it in our um, ep- future episodes. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers um, and on Twitter x switchers. If you want to support this podcast, we have a Venmo at the same thing uh, at Chicana Code Switchers. And also we have a Patreon. So become a contributor and have access to all the tools and resources that we're going to publish on the first of every month. And thank you all for tuning into this week's episode. And until next time. Yeah. Bye. 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 Before we end this episode, I wanted to make a special announcement inviting people from the Fresno Central Valley area for any doctoras, future doctoras, and prospective graduate students from either PhD, JDs, um, psychology, um, EDD, terminal degrees. Um, please join us for the first Fresno edition of hashtag Dinner con Doctoras. Um, Dr. Larisa Mercado Lopez and um, I will be hosting this first um, Dinner con Doctoras event in the Fresno area. Uh, this will be happening August 8th um, at 6 p.m. And the location and information, will I'll put that all on the um, caption of the episode. And it will be this Thursday, August 8th. Um, there will be one sooner. Um, and that will be happening in Boston area in the East Coast. So um, for anyone wanting to join, um, they will have a Dinner con Doctoras uh, event on Saturday, August 3rd. Um, at 6 p.m. as well. Uh, You do have to fill out, um, it's highly recommended to fill out the Google form just so the people hosting have an idea of how many people are going to meet there. Um, Anyone anyone from the community who wants to discuss the journeys and challenges and success and aspirations of pursuing a graduate degree, um, specifically PhD, but we can also range... um, it's a wide range of people. Um, please come. Um, everyone is welcome. Um, bring any, you know, high school students, graduate students, undergrads, uh, working professionals to come over and have this really wonderful event. And also um, non-binary folks are also welcome. So please join us. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us um, and we can directly message you to the right people. Thank you. And this concludes this episode. Yeah.